invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. First Samuel chapter 13. Um, we're going to be kind of continuing our thoughts on Saul as we continue to go through the narrative um, of the Bible. We last looked at where really the United Kingdom begins. We had a few lessons looking at the period of the judges, and then we looked at First Samuel chapter uh, 8 and First Samuel chapter 9 where the people want a king for themselves. And the, the, the reasoning behind that and why that was an evil request because it wasn't like they were wanting uh, a, a king for godly reasons. They wanted it because they wanted to look like the other nations. They essentially wanted a mascot. And in Saul, it seems as though that's exactly what they got. More of a mascot instead of, like David, a man after God's own heart. And here is one of the first major stories where I think you see a, 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 a major failure of Saul, particularly as king, as a leader of God's chosen people. And I, as we look through this story in 1 Samuel chapter 13, I, I want to kind of ask the question, what led to Saul's failure? What are kind of the circumstances surrounding that failure? Uh, maybe what kind of drove his decision uh, in, in the sin that he commits? And then just make some application. What is it that we can learn from this? Um, and, and so beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 13, as it speaks of the, uh, the war that's going on between Israel and the Philistines, something that, uh, an enemy that they have known too much of, especially uh, when you think about how they were supposed to be able to just go into the promised land and just eradicate all of the, the uh, paganism, the idolatry in the land. Because they didn't, uh, it seems to be that they, they suffer the consequences, the ramifications for generations and generations to come. And so they're still having issues with the Philistines. The verse, um, in verse 8, this is where we get the title of tonight's lesson. Saul, I, I can only imagine the stress that he goes through as he is given the instruction to wait for the prophet Samuel, to wait for uh, the judge and wait for this servant of God that is supposed to be really helping Saul in this fight as he says he's going to, uh, at the appointed time, give this offering. It says in verse 8 that Saul waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering from him. Uh, in, in the midst of, of all of... The stress that would have already been there, I'm assuming, in the middle of a, a great battle and in the middle of much discouragement, uh, you have this added on, uh, what I would say is not just an affliction, but just this added on thorn. The notion of waiting, the notion of having to be long-suffering, it is not one that comes very easily. Uh, just speaking from my own personal experience, I do not have any natural proclivity in terms of patience and endurance when, when it comes to uh, especially suffering in my direction. I don't think anybody really has uh, maybe the natural proclivity for that. Maybe some have better patience. Some are, are maybe slower to anger in those kinds of situations. But it's certainly not something that we wish for, the, the constant trials, the constant um, 
tribulations that, that really do test our faith, that really do test that endurance. Um, and so, again, I just want to look at Saul's uh, re reaction to this. How does he respond in the midst of all of this? Well, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 13, I do think it's interesting because it, it doesn't start with great discouragement. In fact, in verse 1, it says Saul was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 42 years over Israel. Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, of which 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, while 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah of Benjamin. But he sent away the rest of the people, each to his tent. Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. All Israel heard the news that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines and also that Israel had become odious to the Philistines. The people were then summoned to Saul at Gil Gilgal. And we'll stop there for just a moment. The way uh, this story begins, it is not with dire circumstances, at least not yet. But it starts with a pretty decent victory. It starts with, with, with just the right kind of encouragement you want, especially when you're talking about uh, you know, fighting against the enemy and trying to rouse the spirit of, of uh, you know, your army, uh, and especially for Saul, being the leader, being the king of this people. What better way than to, again, rouse the spirits of, of the soldiers than to focus on this? and to really uh, utilize this kind of victory. But what it seems is, like is that not very long do they dwell on this victory, not very long do, are they encouraged by it, but rather they immediately begin to focus on, um, as you see beginning in verse 5, they immediately begin to focus on the, the circumstances when they get not as uh, desirable, not as ideal. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But I will just say from the very outset, I think it's very easy, uh, not just I think, it is always easiest to do well and to do what you're supposed to do, to fulfill your obligations and your responsibilities when everything is ideal, when everything is, is comfortable. It's when things begin to become uncomfortable, that's the real test of faith. That's the real test of it, have they just been kind of like what, what Satan says about Job. Well, he's just been serving you because you have blessed him so much. And sometimes it may be that they're servants of God, disciples, Christians, that do serve him because things are going pretty well. But what happens as soon as the power goes out and there's no more AC? What happens is, and that, that's, more of a, that's more of a silly illustration, but it is amazing how quickly that even Christians can lose their minds, lose their temper when something just as, as mundane as the air conditioning goes out. I can just tell you from experience, being in Mississippi, deep south, I've never been to, to a place where, I, I've never been to a place where you can be walking on the sidewalk and yet still feel like you're swimming. It's incredibly humid. It's incredibly hot. And when you go inside, you're looking for refuge from that, uh, that kind of weather. And then when you have nothing, to, as, as that uh, buffer, it is very easy to become grumpy, very easy to forget how you're supposed to talk to your wife. Uh, and quite frankly, it's sad. Um, but it, it, I think that's a very good test just from the outset of figuring out how strong our faith is, uh, is, is just asking the question, how quickly when the comforts leave, how quickly when the situation becomes less desirable, do we just lose our minds? Um, so going further into the text, 
It begins that way, but very quickly the people begin to cower uh, as they see the Philistines preparing for further battle. In verse 5 it says the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people like the sand which is on the seashore in abundance. And they came up and camped in Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed, then the people hid themselves in caves, in thickets, in cliffs, in cellars, and in pits. Also, some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. And so, just within these few verses here, what you find is, even though it's, it's the only thing that is happening is that essentially the opponent is, is getting ready to fight more. It's not like they have had a major victory. And so as the, the first time I was reading through this, I was just very kind of surprised because you read this and you think that they have just witnessed a massacre. They've just witnessed a slaughter. But it didn't take much for the people to become discouraged and for the people to begin cowering and fleeing. And even at this point, I don't necessarily look at Saul and think, well, he was just doing a terrible job as a leader. It looks as though the people just immediately cower when they see uh, the massing numbers of, of the opposing army. And they so quickly forget the enemy which Jonathan had already so mightily and, and swiftly destroyed. Uh, again, I think it's a good test of faith to note how easily, how quickly uh, we begin to lose our faith, lose our resolve when we just don't even experience the discomfort. We just see something coming. Um, and I, I think here is a good place to, as we begin to see how Saul reacts to this and respond, I think this is a good place to start comparing and contrasting with how David would respond in these kinds of situations and even in worse situations. And this is where you begin to see how the, the people, the king that they wanted, you, you get what you see. But when you see David come in later on in the story, here is a man that has a greater resolve. And even when it is tested, even when it, is, it is, becomes weary, it doesn't break as easily as, as Saul. Beginning in verse uh, 8, as we already just read, it says that they, he had waited the seven days and he was waiting for Samuel to come, but he didn't come exactly when he wanted uh, him to be there. And the people just continue to, uh, to scatter. Uh, going um, uh, again at the end of verse 8, it may be easy to endure temptation and trials and discomfort when you have advocates. But what happens when you lose your support? You, when, if, if all of our resolve is not based in, okay, God is there, so, so I'm good. When all of our comfort and our resolve is based on, okay, what about this friend group that I have? If all of our resolve is based on, okay, as long as Lakeside is still standing and existing, then I can keep going. There very well could be a day when Lakeside shuts its doors and is dead. What then? What is your faith going to do? In, in, in the case of Saul, uh, so quickly does he begin to make excuses when Samuel does come. So quickly does he begin to try to shift the blame over to others. The problem is, when it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to your relationship with God, you don't get to start blaming others. You don't get to start looking over other people and saying, well, what about them? But 
for, uh, but for the individual, we have to actually have an answer and give an account for our own uh, will and our own faithfulness towards God. Over in 2 Timothy, very quickly, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 6. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now Paul says this, with the mindset of, of he knows those who have already left and even left supporting him and have become a hindrance to him. You keep moving on. In verse 10, he talks about Demas, who having loved this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And, and uh, beyond that, Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Now, uh, I don't know. I don't think all of those people had deserted in the same way necessarily. But especially when it comes to the people who we are counting on for that kind of strength. And when, when I talk about encouragement, I mean it literally. Something that gives us strength and builds up our resolve and is a boon in those uh, uh, worser circumstances. I don't know if worser is a word, but in, in the, <laughs> the, the less ideal circumstances. Again, if our faith is in someone or a group, it's, it's helpful to have those uh, again, those boons. It's helpful to have that support. But if all of our faith is based on that, how feeble that faith is. Because as soon as the group fails, as soon as the individual fails, well, what happens then? Your world is shattered. Yet everything, it falls. And that's why we have to make sure that the focus remains on God. The focus remains on the one who has been giving victory the entire time. As you look at the journey of Saul in, in his kingship, I, I'm convinced it did not have to end the way it does. Where the kingdom is torn from him and given to another, David, one that would have a, a, a heart that desires God's will first and foremost. I don't think it had to end as shamefully and as embarrassingly as it does. I think one of the main reasons that it does is because his faith always was shaken. Uh, because ultimately he didn't have it uh, full, firmly planted in God and his will, but rather the people surrounding him, the people around him, and generally the people around him weren't always the greatest of counselors in the first place. And so we find that in 1 Samuel, back in 1 Samuel chapter 13, with all of these things that um, were working against him, he finally does sin. In verse 9, beginning of chapter 13, it says, So Saul said, Bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the appointed days, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the, Lord, of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. 
Again, it's so easy to just forget what God says as soon as we are pressured. Uh, and, and time and time again, what you see is Saul doing exactly that. We're not going to look at 1 Samuel 15 next week. We're going to continue, uh, I think, looking more so towards David and his kingship. But, but in 1 Samuel 15, you find yet another failure of Saul where he, he could have really proven himself. He could have really shown God that he was trying to turn uh, the tide here and trying to be more faithful. And instead of following the instruction completely, and destroying Amalek, destroying the king, king Agag, what does he do? He spares the king, and he takes the best of the flock. And I think it is just because of that weak resolve. Um, and Samuel uh, rebukes him in a very similar way. But with all that being said, I do think uh, when looking at uh, the circumstances that Saul had to go through, that he is having to lead people through, I, I, I ask myself the question, can, can I kind of understand where Saul is coming from? Not to make an excuse, not to give a defense for the sin. But I really can see where he's coming from when he does make the mistake. <laughs> because as, as we were talking about earlier, it doesn't take much in just our daily routine to change where when, when just a slight comfort is taken away, we lose our temper. And, and we yell at the family. We, we, we uh, start backbiting with, with the wife or maybe the husband. Or we, we start taking the anger out on our kids. It doesn't, Saul's sin here, it doesn't have to be, as, as uh, I was talking to somebody earlier, it, it doesn't have to be this grandiose, great visual spectacle to be such, uh, such a draining sin and a draining failure. All it can take is just simply backbiting against the family. All it can take is just losing the temper. Um, and that can be a failure, especially as a leader that can lead to uh, greater ruin, not just for the individual, but for those you're trying to lead. Now, again, this does not excuse, um, as we talk about how the, there's, there's plenty of uh, situations where we can have relatable discomforts, relatable stresses that come into our lives, how easy it can be to fail. It's not excusing him, but it does make him more relatable. Uh, and it does make it uh, hopefully more applicable in our own lives how easy that can be just in the day-to-day -day, um, uh, the day-to-day -day routines well now we just finish by looking at really how is it that Saul failed and ultimately I think he failed in the fact that he did not wait long enough I think this is a, a, a story that teaches us how important that patience endurance that long-suffering is in uh, again in verses 9 through 14 Samuel makes it very clear. Saul did not obey God. Obedience is so important to God. Even in 1 Samuel chapter 15, when he says, I spared the best of the flock, even though God said that it was devoted to destruction. I spared the best of it so that way I could give a sacrifice when we get home to the Lord. And remember what Samuel says? What, what does God desire more, sacrifice or obedience? And, and let me just repeat what I've said in the past. That is not to say that God does not care at all about sacrifice. He does. But the, if, if you don't have the obedience there, the sacrifice means nothing. In fact, it becomes an affront to God and disrespectful at best. And so in, in every respect, in, in each case, what you have is Saul just simply not listening to the instruction, not listening to the will of God because of impatience and even because of doubt. It is amazing how quickly um, we can abandon 
the counsel of God specifically because of, of something as subtle as doubt. Over in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This kind of speaks about a, a lot of the things we've discussed so far. But in verse 2, beginning of James chapter 1, James says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may uh, be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position, and the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in, in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. I wanted to read through that very quickly because as you see James talking about trials and the things that we will suffer, he doesn't even begin with, you know, kind of easing them into this. All right, we're going to have to talk about something that's, that's not going to be very easy to hear. You're going to suffer. He doesn't even start that way. What he says is, consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter these various trials. <laughs> and, and especially in the first century, you think, Wow, bold words. Because that persecution is nothing compared to what we face today. Or, or rather, the persecution we face today is nothing compared to that persecution. They were literally put to death. They were literally hunted. And yet, in that circumstance, James says, consider all joy. Why? Because God can produce through even a circumstance that negative and that dark, He can produce something far greater than... than uh, any tribulation that the enemy has in store for you, he can build endurance even through that, even through that kind of affliction. And in verse 12, finally, he says, Blessed is the man who pers perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. <laughs> what does he say? If you endure just up till just the very point where your resolve breaks, even when you, you know what, you've done a really good job, you got 90% of the way through. That's not what he says. In fact, the trial may be that you're facing death. And, and the reward may be that you go forward. That, that actually happens. You may be put to death. And the reward is you are going to receive the, the glory that comes with being a son of God. Uh, the glory that comes with being, uh, uh, that comes with uh, being delivered into the promised land through him. And so all of that just to say... Coming back to what we were talking about with Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 13, I think so much of it comes down to not allowing the subtleties of doubt to cloud our judgment. When God has given us instruction, it doesn't matter the trial, it doesn't matter the persecution, it doesn't matter the opponent. It does not matter. We must remain faithful. We must keep to the instruction, keep to the counsel that He has given us. In 1 Samuel 13, in verse 8 again, it says that Saul waited the, those seven days. And what I think is interesting is that he did wait the full seven days. Not, well, not the full seven days, really. 
He waited about as long as he could, as long, about as long as he wanted to. But ultimately, the failure, it, Samuel didn't fail here. He just didn't get there exactly the time that Saul wanted on that, on that seventh day. If Samuel had come on the eighth day, that would be a failure. But he didn't come on the eighth day. Rather, Saul decided he didn't come immediately as soon as I wanted to. Therefore, I need to take action. I need to take, I need to take the matter into my own hands. And therefore, we're going to do things my way. He gave up before the day was over. And I think this is maybe the most important point of, of the story. Is that in a, uh, in a servant of God's life in the day-to-day, I think it's so easy to do the same thing that Saul does. The seventh day has not passed. God has not made promises that he won't keep. God has not made promises that are even so far out of his reach. It's not a matter of God is too weak to fulfill these things. It's a matter of we are too weak to remain faithful and, and remain strong and confident in those promises that he has given to us. Again, Saul shouldn't have gotten worried until the seventh day had passed. And so what does that mean for us? It may mean that we have to wait close to midnight, but we can be sure, we can be confident that what God has promised, he will bring about. Um, and and I, again, I just think that that is su such an important point to make, that the long-suffering, we, <laughs> we can't overstate the case. It may be that you have to suffer so much in this life. That does not mean that we are allowed to just say, well, I'm, I'm willing to go up to this point. Up to this point, no further. I mean, that's my condition. We're not the ones making conditions here. God is. You want to be his servant? You want to be a part of his family, his kingdom? It's his conditions that matter. We don't get to negotiate. We don't get to barter. But I think sometimes we, we don't realize that maybe we are falling to that kind of temptation. And so finally, uh, as you look at Saul's failure here, not only did he allow that, the doubt to creep in, allow that to overshadow uh, his better judgment, and he disobeys God, but in that disobedience, he, he just proves the kind of king the people wanted was not enough. He did not act the part of his position, and moreover, uh, in, that, uh, in that poor uh, display, he, he gives these different excuses. He says in verse 11, essentially, well, it's just not my fault. You, all the people were scattering. What was I to do? I had to take matters into my own hands so that way the people, as, as weak as they were, the people would just obey my command so that the people would, would become confident once more. It should be that leaders, even when, even when, uh, you know, the people that are following us, the servants, the family, whatever the case, it should be that leaders lead by example, not follow by others' example. Uh, but what a, what a great, what a great show of, of honor from Saul as, he's, as he starts blaming it on all of his subjects. It's their fault, not mine. Uh, in verse 12, I love what he says here, especially. He says, Therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Oh, what a... I guess there's nothing else he could have done. What a great guy. I had to force myself to do something wrong. You ever heard someone give a kind of excuse like that? I, I just couldn't help myself. I mean, the, the computer was sitting right there. 
I, I just couldn't help myself because the, you know, I, I was passing this, this liquor store and you know what? There was just, there, there was no way that I could have, that I could have not gone in. Uh, on the flip side, you have people that uh, want to help God's instructions out. They want to take matters into their own hands because maybe there's not enough growth being done. Maybe there's not enough, um, maybe not enough liveliness in the church. So what are we going to do? I got to force myself to, to cultivate that kind of liveliness, but we're not going to go anywhere near what God says to do that. We're going to look everywhere else. I, I, but I, I, I did it because I forced myself to do this. It doesn't matter what excuse we come up with. It doesn't matter what excuse Saul came up with. It was disobedience nonetheless. And remember what Samuel says in 1 Samuel chapter 15. What does God desire more? Obedience or sacrifice? Ultimately, we need to focus on obedience because there is no sacrifice that we can give that is going to do the trick. There is not enough that we can give, uh, as we were talking about earlier, to cover up the damage that we, can, that, that we have already done. But we do even more damage when we decide that, that I, I think we can leave behind that instruction and I think that we need to leave behind that instruction. I need to focus on what I can do. What can you do? Obey the Lord's command. What can I do? Follow his counsel. Not the world's, not my own standard. And so, as you look at Saul's example here in 1 Samuel chapter 13, I do think it's quite relatable because we live in a world that is so holiness hostile, that is so opposed to any level of, of righteousness, to any level of purity, and because of that, it is so easy to grow weary and it's so easy to lose faith. It's easy in all of that to just give up and abandon God and His Word and his, uh, the effect that His Word should have in our own lives. But we don't want, as Christians, as God's people, to get so close to that reward. <laughs> I, I just think about Saul. He, he was this close. Samuel was so close to give that offering. And as soon as Saul decided to act on his own behalf, when did Samuel? Right after the fact. Too often people get too, so close to, to victory and they stop just short of it because they think, There's, I just can't go another step. And a lot of the time that happens because they can't see the full picture. Certainly we can't see the full picture here while we're on earth. I don't know how tomorrow's going to go. I don't know how next week is going to go. I don't know how tonight's going to go. But what I do know is this. I don't want to get so close like the Israelites when they get to the promised land. And they decide, you know what? It's going to be too great for us. I can't do it. You know what happens? God says, fine, then I'm going I'm to give you what you want. The next generation is going to take it. You're not going to be able to. And they come back and they even say, but no, we really do want to do this. We want to we, we, we repent of our, of our disobedience. We want to repent of our unbelief. We want to go back on this. You don't get to. And why is it? Because he had gotten them. He had given them the victory so readily. It was so accessible. And on the border, on the very brink of, of, of receiving that reward, they decide, you know what, God, you can take that. You can have that. It's not, it's not worth it to me. I don't want to get so close to, to our promised land and at the very last moment say, I've, I've had it up to here. 
this was all I was willing to go, God, forget it. If you are not a Christian, I would just say that you're, you're not just... You're not just in, in as bad of a boat as, as the Israelites, as Saul even, so close to victory. You have no hope for it. And so if you would like to learn about the, the strength that, that God can provide to stand the test of wearying time, to stand the test of bitter circumstances, we'd love to assist you in that. If you need the help of the brethren here, by any means, we would love to help you in your relationship with God or as you try, strive to begin that relationship with God. But the question is, are you going to have faith, have confidence in God's word, the promises that he's given? And therefore, are you willing to act on those conditions that he gives with those promises? Are you willing to uh, repent of everything that he says you must let go of? Are you willing to confess that you will be obedient till death, that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God? And are you willing to be baptized in newness of his, of his life, to rise in newness of his life? If you're subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please let your need be made known as we stand and as we sing.